The New York Football Podcast is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. It's not just games either. Sure, you can get your tickets to the Giants, the Jets, the Knicks, all those things, but you can also get concert tickets and shows as well. Hey, you're going into New York City to check out the tree at Rockefeller Center and Want to get a show? Well, when you're there, last minute, try to get some show tickets and save money on Game Time. You can use the easy two-tap checkout as well. The Game Time app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the Game Time app in the Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. You're listening to the New York Football Podcast with Tim McMaster and Dan Duggan. I think you're looking for we're a team that finds a way to lose a lot of games. Um, meaning that's why I keep saying inconsistent. We're an inconsistent football team. That's Saquon Barkley pretty much summing up the 2019 Giants. Uh, last night, interesting one. This is the New York Football Podcast. Tim McMaster along with Dan Duggan. Highest of the highs, lowest of the lows. One night, Dan, kind of encapsulating Eli Manning's career. They fall 23-17 in overtime. We're going to talk about Eli, of course, the defense and its second-half struggles, the division. But first off, breaking news, because you just got off the conference call, the day-after-the-game conference call with Pat Shermer, and Pat Shermer was indeed on the other side of the phone, which means Pat Shermer, as of right now, still the head coach of the New York Giants. Yeah, no, I mean, that in and of itself is kind of the biggest news of the day. Uh, you know, typically, if you're going to fire a coach after a game, you try to do it as soon as possible so he doesn't start going through things like, you know, media obligations and injury reports and all that stuff. So uh, the fact that business as usual over there today indicates uh, I think they're just going to let Shermer, you know, ride this season out. You never know, um, you know, because John Mara once again looked like he had steam coming out of his ears as he walked by the media when we were going into the locker room after the game. You don't know if at some point there would just be a breaking point where ownership would say, like, I can't even look at this guy anymore, like, get him out of here. But um, I don't think that's obviously going to be the case because, again, him doing that call signals business as usual. And, and you know, there's always the, the case of, like, how much would they really gain by firing Pat Shermer with three games to go, it would literally be a case of like they just don't want to look at him anymore and, and you know see him up there doing his you know you know like his uh, press conferences and all that type of thing. So um, the only maybe variable is now that like say a guy like Ron Rivera is out there um, or that the fact that the Panthers and the Redskins have openings, maybe you want to get a jump start in the process. But even at that, it's very rare for a coach to get hired before a season ends because they want to see what other, you know, options become available after the season. You know, they call it Black Monday for a reason. That's when pretty much all league business is handled the day after the, the regular season ends. So, I mean, I assume Pat Shermer won't be doing a conference call that day, um, <laughs> but that's, you know, that's still three weeks away. Um, and, and the reason why I thought it might have been a possibility, whereas all year I've kind of ruled it out um, as far as, you know, an in-season firing, his demeanor was different after the Eagles game I mean he's usually pretty combative and feisty and doesn't like you know tough questions and he almost was just seemed resigned to his fate you know after the game where he almost laughed that he was getting tough questions like oh well, you got some tough questions for me tonight and like chuckled and in that moment I don't think Pat Shermer six weeks ago was chuckling about tough questions about his job security it just kind of right. feels like he knows 
Um, the axe is going to fall, and there's really nothing he can do. And, and losing a game in that fashion was just – I know for fans, you know, most people are probably checked out or rooting for draft status. But these guys are desperately trying to win. That's just a crushing way to lose. And it's, it's just probably – he feels like nothing he can do, uh, you know, will work and everything goes wrong. So I, it just kind of felt like he, he knows the end is near. So it made me wonder if, if maybe it was more near than, than we had anticipated. But that definitely seems like they're going to let him play out the string. And then, again, I'd be stunned if Pat Sherman's on the phone <laughs> the day after that season finale, you know, wrapping up the season and looking ahead to 2020. Um, so I guess we'll have to just wait and see how these next three weeks play out and, and get to that point. Yeah, you know, we've reached the point in the season where you can definitely make the argument that losses are more valuable to this Giants team than wins and, and getting a better draft pick because they're certainly not going anywhere. That said, I think any Giant fan would have loved to see just a vintage Eli Manning performance last night and a win in Philadelphia against a division rival just to kind of have some sort of positive memory to take away from this season. And for one half, Dan, we got just that. I mean, Eli in the first half... 11 of 19, 179 yards, you know, family, Peyton in the stands, family in the stands, throws for a couple of touchdowns, Slayton looked great, they're up 17 to 3, and everything's feeling good, and then it all fell apart, and I just don't understand what what changed in the second half from your perspective, did they change what they were doing, I mean, obviously there's always adjustments, but how was how Eli Manning so good in the first half and so off in the second half? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I haven't, you know, to use the coach's expression, I haven't broke down the film. I don't yeah. know that they did anything drastically different. I think that it was just kind of the, you know, water kind of, you know, finding its level. You know, like Eli was, it was awesome in that first half. I mean, it was, you know, vintage Eli, and it was like such a cool story. And, you know, Darius Slayton, who was seven years old when Eli got drafted, is, you know, catching touchdown passes from him. It was like, wow, what a script. I mean, this was like the, it, it, the game really was a microcosm of Eli's career. The first half of the game was like the first half of his career, like the, the highest of highs and Super Bowl MVPs, and you're you know and you're throwing touchdown passes and won't be might be your final start, and then the second half was a lot like the second half of his career, where the lowest of lows and it was just such a slog and it was just so ugly. Like again, I, I feel like a lot of people are like criticizing Pat Shermer's game plan or, or play calling in the second half. I don't know that they did anything drastically different. I just think that they're a bad team and they stopped executing and, and you know. The offensive line broke down more, and obviously Eli, you know, can't avoid anybody in the pocket, and that's always, you know, been his deal. And he was inaccurate on some passes. Uh, it just felt like they. It was a. We've seen Eli have these games, you know, for three years. It shouldn't be a surprise that the offense wasn't able to just keep humming and put up forty points. Like that isn't who Eli and this team has been the last couple of years. So uh, I know there was a lot of sentimentality because you know Eli was back. But he's still the same guy, and he's you know ten weeks older or whatever you want to say. So th- there was really no reason to to believe he was gonna you know just light the world on fire. I mean, if if anything, it was really surprising how sharp he was in that first half. But I can't say I was surprised that things kind of went south there in the second half. I mean, we saw it happen in Philly just a year ago, um, where they got off to a, a big lead in the first half. And you know, I mean, Philly is that team is is in bad shape too. I mean, it was you know some of the writers I was talking to. You know, you're not following team that closely. They were really down on him before the game, like saying, like, don't count the Giants out. The Eagles are that bad. I mean, you know, just coming off a loss to the Dolphins. And then they, they had top-line players, you know, dropping like flies. You know, Alshon Jeffrey and Lane Johnson. Uh, they're running back Sanders went out for a little bit. Jalen Mills went out for a little bit. I mean, they, they were losing guys left and right. 
And, you know, you couldn't name, besides Zach Ertz, the guy who got wide open for the touchdown on the last play of the game, you couldn't even name any of the guys who were touching the ball for them as they mounted that comeback. But um, it's just sort of how Eli's, you know, story kind of fittingly ends in Philly, like a, a devastating loss because it's it's absolutely been, you know, his house of horrors and, and just really a tough way for things to wrap up from there. I mean, he you know, you mentioned how his wife, uh, he's kind of stopped going to games at Philly early in his career because, you know, how rough that crowd can be. But even she toughed it out and, and wanted to be there because, you know, who knows, as he said, this, you know, for all he knows, this might be his last start of his career. Uh, I think he's going to start at home against Miami next week, but there's no guarantee. And, and Eli knows there's no guarantees better than anybody after he thought he was going to start, you know, this whole season. And then after two games, he got the, the rug pulled out from under him. So um, it's a it's a weird mix of emotions and everything where there's sentimentality for Eli, but like he said that, the draft stock is more important to the, the long-term health of this you know, franchise. Like I put a, a kind of informal poll out when Eli got the ball back with a two-minute drill late in the fourth quarter. Would you rather one more win for Eli here or just get the second pick so you can get Chase Young? And I would say it was probably 60-40 Chase Young, and both sides of the aisle were very passionate in, in their takes. Like, how could, you, how could you ask that? Of course it's Chase Young. Or how could you ask that? Of course I want Eli to win. Like people had very strong takes, and... And then one funny kind of undercurrent was, I don't care, just fire Shermer and Gettleman. So uh, all parties were kind, of, were kind of covered. But yeah, as far as Eli, again, it just, it really summed up his career, which is kind of sad because, I mean, the first half of his career was so great. And it's just been so tough to watch, you know, him kind of limp to the finish line. And, and that played out last night. Yeah, 4 for 11, 24 yards, no scores in that second half. Um, so it's 10 of 11 now he's lost to the Eagles, 2013 the last time that he won in Philly. And, of course, the career record now, and we'll see if he starts next week. You mentioned that, but the career record, 116 and 117 right now for uh, Eli Manning. And how about Jones? Any update on that today from Pat Shermer? Is, is that, you said you kind of have a feeling that it'll be Eli again, but but is there anything from the team yet at this point on, on Jones's ankle? I know it sounds like from everything going on all last week, he got out of the boot as quickly as possible, and he's really fighting to get back. Yeah, no, I mean, he is doing everything. I had a line in my story uh, yesterday morning where, you know, a lot of these guys, when they're on the side during practice, they're just kind of idly pedaling on the bike because the trainer says, go ride the bike, you know, while the rest of the team is warming up and, and running drills. I mean, he looks like he's training for the Tour de France. Like, he's pedaling. I mean, he looks so unhappy and uncomfortable being on the side, which is exactly what you'd love to see. You know, you want guys who want to play. He, You know, this is killing him, I think, to sit out. It's just uh, it's not what he wants to do, like – there's no like, okay, yeah, it'll be good for me to sit back for a couple weeks and learn. Like he, I think he thinks that line of thinking is totally BS, and, and he'll go along with it if you ask him a question. But I, I don't think he's really looking at this as a positive experience. Um, you know, that being said, Shermer didn't have a very definitive update today. You know, Wednesday will be a big day because that'll be the first time they're on the practice field. So you have to see how much he can do then because by that point, there'll have been a couple days here where, um, you know, they haven't had any real activity for him. So see how much it has healed up. Um, it was notable to me that in Saturday's practice, he, you know, very lightly was you know, taking snaps and, and you know, throwing short passes. I mean, it wasn't anything uh, like in a real you know, live setting or anything by any stretch. But he's again, he's just making little incremental movements because I think he just can't stand, you know, being overdoing crunches with the trainers for an hour during practice. Um, so I think that, again, I said it last week, I think if it was up to him, he would play. He would have played last night and I think he'd play against the Dolphins. Um, you know, there's a report from NFL Network that's a two to four week injury, which is sort of a convenient timeline because two weeks gives Eli, you know, last night's start and then the, the home start against the Dolphins or four weeks takes him right through the end of the year. So it kind of feels like that that gave him a little wiggle room that if things are going well with Eli, maybe they just let him ride it out. But 
I think the most realistic uh, outcome and what I kind of predicted all along is two weeks. It makes sense. You're not going to rush him back. That would be crazy. You let Eli have his sort of swan song here. He gets a home game against the Dolphins. You would hope you know he can go out a winner there and it'd be you know a nice scene. But then you don't want to just like put Jones on ice just to put him on ice. I mean, if he's if he's ready to play, every experience counts. You know, Eli would have had his farewell. He doesn't need to have four starts to say goodbye. I think you'd get Jones back in there, especially you know uh, Washington a winnable game, and then you know another shot against Philly in the in the season finale. So I think that's how it plays out. But I mean, listen, I'm not you know looking at the MRIs and everything. I'm just trying to read the tea leaves and engage what I've seen from Jones's progress. The fact that he got out of that boot as quick as possible. You know, he's walking through the locker room last night after the game. And, you know, no noticeable limp or anything like that. So I think he's making progress. And again, I just think it makes sense. Give Eli the home start to get his send off. You can still definitely say mm, Jones isn't 100%. But I don't think they're going to just, like, drag out the Jones injury just so Eli can continue to start. Because, again, we saw him Monday night. Like, Eli just, he's, you know, he's not a great quarterback anymore. There's no, there's not, there's, like, even the sentimentality, it's not really that fun to watch him, you know, whatever those stats were in the second half. Like, that's not really enjoyable to watch. Like, I, I think clearly his time has passed. And so, you know, let him have his send-off at home and then, you know, get the future of the franchise, the thing that really matters, um, back on the field. Let him get two more games of experience, see if he's made any progress from this, you know, whole sitting back and watching thing. Um, but I think that's how it plays out. Yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense. And and we should touch on a few positives from the game. One is Darius Slayton again. And it seems like it's every week, Dan, that we're just like, well, the team's terrible and they're bad on both sides of the ball. But, hey, Darius Slayton made some great plays, and he did it again. Five catches, 154, uh, a couple of touchdowns in that first half. So he was great, and it was it was kind of – for me, I thought it was good to see that happen with Eli because we've seen him connect with Daniel Jones, and they build up that relationship. But for Eli to quickly – have a connection with Slayton and be able to make things happen like that, I think goes one, another step forward in just showing that, like, you know, Darius Slayton is legitimate because it's not just that he's Daniel Jones' favorite receiver. He's getting open. He's making big plays. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. I think another point is he did it with Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate on the field. So it wasn't a situation where, like, well, hey, who else am I going to throw it to? And, like, Slayton, you know, kind of has a fluky big game here. They're like, nope, they had all their weapons. And, um, you know, Shepard has been really quiet since coming back from the concussions. Uh, you know, I don't think you can really fault him for that. It's it's a long absence, and you know, I don't think he's probably gonna be the same guy until you know he has a you know full off season and everything. And Tate was super quiet last night, so they needed somebody to step up. And obviously with Slayton, I, I want to say he had all those catches in the second quarter alone. Because you know they didn't really move the ball much in the first quarter. I don't know if that that first touchdown drive, you know, he might have had a catch late in the first quarter of that because I think he scored on the first play of the second, but. Nonetheless, I mean, it was it was in a very compact time frame. It was unfortunate they couldn't get him the ball in the second half. Um, but, no, I mean, he has been definitely a bright spot, and that's just kind of what you have to hang your hat on at this point. You're looking for things. And, and again, you're looking for things that aren't sort of fluky. Like, if, if everyone was just injured, like, I mean, there was years where, like, guys like Roger Lewis put up decent numbers because Odell and Brandon Marshall and Shepard and all these guys were out of the lineup, so someone has to catch the ball. But, no, I mean, Slayton – uh, is doing it with you know pretty much their full offense on the field and like you said now he's doing it with multiple quarterbacks so I mean at this point it's pretty clear he's just a good player and, and now you want to see it you know how high that ceiling can become because I mean he's, you know he's certainly been a little bit up and down which you would expect from a fifth round rookie um, but I think definitely he looks like a guy who could be a number two receiver and that would be great and listen I mean if, if he keeps building you never know maybe he's a, a real find and you found a you know borderline number one receiver in the fifth round so that would be 
a uh, huge development, but yeah, he, he's a guy who just kind of continues to impress. And, um, yeah, that was quite a sight to see how he just really took over the game there for the, the second quarter last night. Yeah, really looked electric out there. All right, so you mentioned the Eagles and, and their media being down on them and all of that, and they were way shorthanded on the offensive side of the ball. Their receiver position is a mess. So the one guy that you know is a weapon and that um, they're going to look for and Carson Wentz is going to look for is Zach Ertz. He's the one guy. He's the tight end. Um, and sure enough, <laughs> you'd think they could put extra attention on Ertz. Instead, in the biggest moments of this game, not only did Ertz make plays, but he was legitimately left uncovered. Um, including the game winner, but he ended up with nine catches, 91 yards, two touchdowns, and just some like unfathomable uh, defensive breakdowns. The game winner is the worst one. If you if you look at the tape, and and it's all over Twitter now, Dan. I think you retweet retweeted a, a clip of the play, but basically the linebackers try to make an adjustment, Ogletree, and then the play starts, and they just don't cover anyone. And Wentz had his could have gone to anybody basically on that play. He ended up going to Ertz, but it wasn't the only time that this defense just looked. It's one thing to get burned and for for players to to make good plays and beat you. It's another to just look lost out there. Right, and again, you you can't overstate you know how shorthanded Philadelphia was at the skill positions. I mean, Josh McCown, no joke, was like had like changed his cleats or something, or changed you know whatever equipment he had to change because he was like the next receiver up if someone got hurt. And that's a forty year old backup quarterback. That's how deep things were going there with Philly because they only dressed three receivers, which was kind of a. Uh, a Giants-esque quizzical roster management move, and then Alshon Jeffrey uh, got injured in the first half, so they were really up against it. So, yes, obviously at that point, Zach Ertz is their number one option, and I would much rather let you know these guys who you've never heard of you know, try to beat you. And, and granted, like I like Boston Scott, you know, emerged and, and really did some damage, but um, it, it's just hard to it's hard to fathom how Zach Ertz, of all people, gets wide open. From the two-yard line, you're coming out of a timeout. So, like, it's not like this was some scramble situation where there was a mix-up. You should, you know, have your call set. Like, emphasize one last time before they go on the field. Like, don't leave 86. Like, he's their best player. And, and the other troubling part is something I've touched on, you know, periodically throughout the season here. It's easy to just say, oh, the young guys, the young guys. The people involved in that play were Michael Thomas and Al Golgotree. I mean, two guys with C's on their chest. They can't play the, like, oh, you know, they're just so inexperienced. Like, no, these are veteran guys. Uh, I'm <laughs> I'm always a little biased to Michael Thomas, a former athletic uh, diary contributor. Uh, but it looked like Golgotree screwed that one up, which comes as no surprise because he's just been such a disaster. And, you know, Thomas was playing, it seemed like a zone. And if, if Ertz went out, Thomas was in a position to cover him. Ertz obviously went in. And Ogletree is just kind of running around aimlessly, you know, around the goal line. Like, it's just it's just brutal. And, and it happens so often. I mean, there's so many plays, you know, every week where guys just end up wide open or there's just complete coverage bust. And it's tough because, I, you know, back when the games were still somewhat relevant, I would reach out to people, you know, I know that are coaches and, and in the game who know a heck of a lot more than I do just to be like, I don't want to, you know, call out the wrong guy. Like, can you tell me, you know, what you think went wrong here? And it's amazing how often they would you know you never know what the call is even if you're a coach but it'd be amazing how often they'd be like uh i'm not really sure it looks like this it look like they're so far off that educated minds can't say oh they're playing cover three and this guy didn't get the proper depth or oh they were in quarters and this guy you know followed the wrong receiver it's like they're so far off the map with their breakdowns that people who know this stuff are like Ugh, I don't, i'm not quite sure these both these guys seem to be doing like different things like that's so discouraging and i mean listen james betcher like again i kind of 
stood up for him a little bit early in the season because the talent is not good and it still isn't. Like, I, I don't know how you can look at, like, these linebackers and, and or even secondary. I mean, it's a, it's a bad roster, but he's been a disaster. I mean, he, he has not figured out a way to mitigate, you know, some of the shortcomings. Uh, and, I mean, I will say they played well in the first half and they were in a tough spot in the second half because the offense right. just couldn't move the ball. They were on the field the whole second half, and that does wear you down. But, again, you're playing against a super shorthanded offense. And it just seemed like any time the Eagles needed to make a play, they drew one up and the Giants had no answer. And that's just been over and over again, you know, the same issue. And so is it players? Is it coaching? I mean, it's obviously a combination of the two. And the result is, you know, you lose nine straight games. <laughs> yeah. Then the Giants, it's it's bad football, but there is a lot of good football still being played around the National Football League. And weekends are made for football. And with so many college and pro games on the slate, the DraftKings Sportsbook app can make your weekend even better. Actually, now that I'm thinking of it, with all the hoops hockey action going on, the DraftKings Sportsbook app can get you in on the action 24-7, 365 days a year. With so much going on this week, they have great promotions running every single day from odds boost to free bets. DraftKings has it all. DraftKings Sportsbook is so easy to use. You can deposit, place your bets, and withdraw in a matter of seconds. It's no wonder DraftKings Sportsbook is America's top-rated sportsbook app. Plus, DraftKings Sportsbook will give new users a free bet just for signing up. Download the DraftKings app now and use code QUICK, that's Q-U-I-C-K, for a limited time, all new users can get a free bet on sign-up. Plus, when you make your first bet, you can get a risk-free bet up to $500. That's code QUICK to place your first bet, and you get a risk-free bet up to $500 only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey-only restrictions apply. See site for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. So the the big thing running through all of these games here for the Giants, beyond the Giants, that I wanted to talk a little bit about, Dan, is just the NFC East as a whole. And the fact that the Eagles winning that game get to 6-7, and seven, which puts them in a tie for first place with the Cowboys. They control their own destiny as those two teams will play. I mean, it's it's just bad. And does that make this Giants record look even worse, the fact that they're, they've won two games and they're in by far the worst division in football? Yeah, no, I mean, there's going to be all sorts of, like, historical marks. I mean, I think I saw something where the NFC East, you know, their record is going to, you know, potentially uh, take over as the worst record for a division in NFL history or the winning percentage, I should say. I mean, it's 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 really unbelievable. I mean, I thought coming into the year, I thought the Cowboys were going to be very good. I think I picked the Eagles to win the Super Bowl. I'm, I'm, I'm saying I think because I just hope everyone forgets that I put that out there because <laughs> uh, I don't know what happened there. I mean, they've, they've certainly had some injuries. It feels like Philly kind of – has followed the same pattern in the last couple of years where they you know they look great in August and then all of a sudden there's just some attrition and they don't have as much depth as we all thought or I think their offensive line's gotten a little older uh, faster than we expected and you know Wentz obviously hasn't been great but no it, it's been um, really just a, an ugly ugly season and it, it is crazy that you know we could have a situation where seven and nine eight and eight wins the division is going to host a home playoff game and it, it makes it sting probably a little more that if the Giants were just like sniffing competency they'd still be alive I mean, it was hilarious that the Redskins as bad as they were were still alive in the playoff race until they lost uh this weekend but it's pretty tough to be you know playing meaningless games in November when your division leader is under 500 I mean that that's that's hard to do to be as far out as the Giants got so early in such a bad division they're not playing a division where like San Francisco you know ran away with the NFC West or something like that so um, yeah, it's just it kind of adds you know a little salt to the wound that this division was there for the taking and they can't even you know like I said sniff you know contention because they're just so out of it so fast. 
Yeah, and it's so crazy you mentioned the NFC West. The winner of that division, uh, Seattle and San Francisco, probably gets the one seed. And then the team that finishes second, and it's really tight right now, will end up with the fifth seed just because of the way the NFL goes. And they'll have to travel to, to one of these teams. It's it's crazy. But that's the the way it goes uh, in the NFL with the division set up and the four divisions. Every once in a while you have a, a real stinker of a division. So, I mean, we talked about Shermer at the top as far as his job security, but this was a, another game where there were moments along the way where it just seemed like in-game he's not necessarily right with it on the ball. And there was a couple times when Doug Peterson, just kind of little things, um, first half, there was the, the punt late in the first half where the Eagles switch units, then switch again, and the, the Giants don't react in time and burn a timeout. There's just these little things where you see Shermer and you're like, that's just not that's just not a guy that you need somebody. If you're going to win football games, if you're going to make it to the playoffs, get to the Super Bowl, win championships, you need to have a coach who can adapt to those type of things and not get burned by by little changes in substitution patterns. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to say I was you know kind of early on this one, really hammered at home, you know, throughout the you know the close. I think losses. it's it's documented in this podcast that you were in early on. That. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just it just stuck out to me, and it was at the, at a time when people were trying to look like big picture, like oh, you don't want to mess up with Jones' development, or oh, it's a young team, or oh, they're in close games, and I just kind of kept seeing these these little nagging issues, and, and I think they've become more magnified. And at this point, I will say this: you know, I'm pretty critical. At this point in the season, I almost like little humanity kicks in and it's like it's almost tough to just keep hammering Shermer on this stuff because it's like he's not a bad guy. We all right. know he's going to get fired. He's clearly in over his head. So it almost becomes like, oh, is it even worth like like I'll ask a question in the press conference and he gives kind of a vague answer. And in like week five, I would have, you know, hammered him with a follow up and then another follow up. And now I'm just like, okay, fair enough. Like, you know, I guess just kind of let him off the hook because it's like it, it, it really isn't even worth grilling him on this stuff anymore because, again, it just doesn't matter. I mean, these games in the grand scheme of things are, are so irrelevant now, which is, you know, the biggest, uh, you know, thing that you can say that's damning of, of Shermer's tenure that, you know, I'm letting up on him because he's he's made the team so irrelevant. that That's not really what you're looking for. But, yeah, I mean, the, the two circumstances, uh, they really just speak to how I feel like he's very re- reactionary. And a guy like Peterson um, has, has sort of built a reputation as being aggressive, and he used that to his advantage. And clearly, teams have figured out something with the Giants' punt team and not being too quick on their feet because it was similar to what the Bears did, uh, where the the Eagles put their well, it was actually the opposite because the Eagles put their punt team on and then ran their offense on. Whereas in the Bears game, it, it was the opposite. But you can sub in that situation. So again, I don't know. Excuse me. I don't know why the Giants didn't sub. They you know, basically Golden Tate playing safety and Shermer waiting, waiting, and then finally calls a timeout. Now I don't think Peterson had any intention of going for it. I think he said, you know, the Giants have two timeouts, whatever it is. I'm just gonna make them burn one so they get the ball back. They have one less timeout. And now it didn't matter because somehow Slayton got behind the defense and, and Eli hit him with the long touchdown pass with like 20 seconds, right. 27 seconds left. But if that's just a 15 yard catch, I mean the time is gonna start to tick out and and missing that timeout would have hurt. And then at the end of the game, though, again, if this was week, even if it was like week 10, I would have killed Trammer. But again, I just feel like we're so close to the finish line. It, 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 everything that needs to be said has been said. But the Eagles catch a nine-yard pass on third and 10. So they have the ball their own 45, fourth and one, with like 41 seconds, I want to say, when the guy got tackled. The Giants have a timeout. So they, they can call it right away. You know, the Eagles punt. You're going to have like 35 seconds left to try and drive for a game-winning field goal. 
Instead, Peterson like lets his offense linger on the field. He's not going to go for it on fourth and one from his own 45. If they don't get it, the Giants need like one completion and they're in range for a field goal. I mean, as much as Peterson's aggressive and he believes in analytics, that would be reckless to go for it in that situation. Because even if, say, you get it on a QB sneak, they still need to go like 25 more yards. So just the, the risk-reward there is, is not very good. But Shermer, like, is playing not to lose. Like, who cares? You're 2-10. Just call timeout right away. You want Philly to go for it. Like, what, what are you playing for, overtime? I, I dare you to go for it because then I'm going to say we're going to stop you and then we're going to kick a field goal. It's going to be great. They're going to carry me off the field. But instead, he's so tentative and he doesn't want them to go for it. Like, why? Like again, if, if you're both playing for the playoffs, I can understand being conservative. But in that situation, you want risks left and right. I mean, this is the same guy called a flea flicker on third and long. So, I, And I didn't mind that because, listen, shake things up. If, if Nate Solder can actually block, that play would have been, you know, a, a <laughs> touchdown and we would all be celebrating it. So I just think you have to play with a little nothing to lose type mentality. And Sherman just can't shake it because he's just so tight and so rigid. So anyways, it plays out. He calls a timeout, I think, with 17 seconds left. Philly, of course, punts it. And then the Giants just have to get a knee because they're, you know, backed up with 10 seconds left. But uh, it's just stuff like that. Like, and then and then he's just so stubborn where he's like, well, it played out the way I wanted it to. Like, wait, you wanted to get the ball back with 10 seconds left to take a knee? I mean, you have a chance to dictate to Philly. Bang, we're calling a timeout. You have to make a decision. It's fourth and one from your own 45. Are you going to go for it and give us a chance to win the game if we stop you? Or are you going to punt it and give us time to go down and drive? And instead... He just sits on his heels and basically lets Peterson decide, you know, dictate terms and then finally calls a timeout because, you know, maybe they screw up the snap on the punt or something. Um, but again, it's just, it's just, it's so par for the course. And again, it's something I've, you know, drilled him on over and over all year. So it's, it's certainly no surprise at this point. That's why I said it almost becomes, you know, futile to even just keep bringing it up because <laughs> we've seen these signs for so long. The games are, are so meaningless now that, I mean, it's just, you know, add one more thing to the pile on, on the why Pat Shermer's got to go. And again, I think it's pretty evident that's where things are headed. So it just feels like piling on to uh, to really uh, keep, you know, banging them on, on these kind of basic coaching mistakes. Yeah, certainly. And it, it is interesting looking at the schedule here with three to go because the next two weeks are, are winnable games for this Giants team. Um, hosting the Dolphins, obviously, on Sunday. Then they go to D.C. to take on the Redskins before a rematch with the Eagles at home. But at this point, I think if you're a fan, you mentioned the the split and kind of the fan base. You almost feel like, yeah, you know, we can win those games, but how about we just don't and get a better <laughs> get a better draft pick at this point and uh, and see how it goes. It's certainly it's it's dark times and not the way you want to be thinking. But hey, the future is what we got to think about now as far as this Giants team goes. All right, well, just because the Giants are struggling doesn't mean your fantasy team needs to. It's just about playoff time in the fantasy world. The ranking show with Jake Seeley, Brandon Funston, and Michael Beller helps you get your fantasy lineup set as the fantasy football playoffs in full swing. Tune in. So they can help you bring home that championship. That's the ranking show right here on The Athletic. All right, that's going to do it for us. Follow Dan on Twitter. Um, he'll be the, the first to let you know if Pat Shermer is is released at some point in the next few weeks. Uh, it's at ddugan 21 to follow him. I'm at Tim M. McMaster. Marissa Morris doing a great job on the producing. As always, we will preview the Dolphins game coming up later this week. So tune back in for that one. That will be an exclusive um, podcast on The Athletic. So get that subscription if you haven't already. And we will talk to you then. 